And they told her, if people should start disappearing from this planet in large numbers, it's being done by us for the universal good. Welcome back. I'm here again with Preston Dennett. Preston, welcome back. I think our last episode was uh, very, very, very angst-ridden with both of us just kind of like shaking our heads. They're kind of the same old story. But I think this episode is going to be about some cases that you looked at in the past about folks who were taken but not returned, but not in a insidious way but kind of in more positive, uplifting ways. So let's start talking about that. What kind of cases have you looked at that have that characteristic, and why does it happen? Yeah, well, there are certainly well-known cases in the literature. There was a case involving, gosh, what was his name? Felix Monkla, who was vectored to a craft over, uh, this was one one of the Great Lakes, I think. I forget the exact location. It's a well-known case. But he was just an Air Force officer who was being vectored towards this craft. And the blip on the radar merged with the actual craft, which darted off. And Felix Monkla and his co-officer were never heard from again. Lori Williams remote viewed that incident. Right. And I think she actually described the beings. Do you have any data on what the beings looked like and things like that? No, we don't know because there's no information on it. All we know, you know, from an official standpoint is that the blip disappeared. It merged with the UFO and the UFO took off and this guy's plane was never found. He was never seen again. Felix Monkla, a man. So presumably he was taken by the ETs. And there was, of course, the Frederick Valentic case in Australia, which is very similar. He was talking to the control tower guy there's something over my craft. It's, you know, it's not a normal aircraft. And there were witnesses along the coastline who were seeing unusual activity at the time. And he was never seen or heard from again. So I wonder about that. And there's a number mm. of cases like this. Leonard Stringfield, very respected researcher, had interviewed a family who was having encounters. And they, and they disappeared, completely disappeared under unusual circumstances. There was another case involving a farmer. This is, again, from Leonard Stringfield in New Mexico, where he rushes home in his pickup because this UFO is right over him. And his family watches as he and his pickup go right into this craft. He's never seen again. So I think this probably happens a bit more often than we hear about. Researcher David Paulides has gotten a Mm -hmm. lot of attention for his missing 411 research where people are disappearing all over the planet a lot of them in national parks and stuff which could be anything from human trafficking to bigfoot to being lost in the wilderness to being eaten by animals but could possibly be ufos it's a bit vague because yeah some of them are disappearing under very unusual circumstances they're there and then they're gone yep so there's something going on that beyond just natural explanations i think prosaic explanations but yeah i do have a few cases myself (laughs) i think the one that really struck me profoundly was i was interviewing this guy who had had a few ghost experiences and like i've got a ufo story for you too and i know him well he was a sister of my friends i worked with Mm -hmm. him when i worked at the renaissance fair for a year 
<laughs> he worked there. At any rate, his name is Tony. And this is back in 1978, about, when he was just a young man, 19, 20 years old. He had a group of friends, five or so, teenage to about 22, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22. And they periodically go out into the high deserts of Southern California. I think it was the Palmdale area. Mm -hmm. Had parents. Who had you, you know, that's where I think that's where Lockheed Skunk Works is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some military up in that area, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, the, the Edwards Air Force Base is not too far. China Lake and all of that. I mean, Area 51 is really not that far either. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's necessarily related to this because of what happened. So there were, I believe it was six of them up there, five or six. And one of their parents had a cabin, which they'd go up and spend the weekend there just you know, drinking beers and campfires and having a good time. And they were there one evening or one day. They drove up there and were just having a good time. And Paul is his name. I do know his last name, which I'm not releasing due to respect for the family. Decided he's going to take a walk. And they're like, okay, we'll see you in a bit. And he didn't come back for a long time. It was like two, three hours, and it's starting to get late. I'm like, well, I guess we're going to have to go look for him because maybe he's hurt, maybe he broke his leg. You know, this is a wilderness area. And they were getting ready, put, getting their coats on and the whole deal to go look for Paul. When in he walks through the door, flushed and excited. The guys, you are not going to believe what happened. I saw a UFO. It was landed on the ground. There were ETs. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, right. You're joking. Ha, ha, ha. And he's like, no, no, for real. Now, Tony knew Paul pretty well. And Tony said, Paul is not a jokey guy. He's a pretty st straight guy, serious, you know, sober guy. And Tony felt sure that Paul was not lying because he was emotional about it. And so they're all joking at him, ridiculing him. Tony's like, no, tell me, tell me, tell me what happened. Because he started to get upset, you know, Paul, because everyone was coming at him. And so he's like, well, this is what happened. You know, I'm walking over there to the base of these cliffs a few miles away from the cabin. And he says he saw something there, a white object. And he walked up to it, and there were humanoid figures milling around. They were all dressed in white jumpsuits. And were bald and had large dark eyes and kind of pale skin, but looked very much human. Probably could have passed for human, he said, if they wore glasses and normal clothes. Because they looked very normal-ish. I'm wondering if they were, they weren't grays is what I'm saying, right? Perhaps hybrids, I don't know. Because it's not your classic, we're called Nordics. I don't really like that term. But tall whites. They weren't that tall. No, they were about mm -hmm. five feet, so a little on the short end. And they invited him on board. They were, he said they were very friendly, absolutely cordial. And he went on board. He said it was just a small craft, 30-some feet, round inside, indirect lighting, curved walls, very, very clean, sparkling white inside, not a whole lot of equipment. And they said that we are in this area studying the landscape and the wildlife in this area. And do you want to come with us? And he said, no. 
said, and they said, if, you know, because if you come with us, that's it. You, know, you can't come back. And Molly was intrigued by the offer. He's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I don't really, you know, I'm not prepared for that. And they escorted him out and they said, well, you know, we're coming back here in a year on this day, one year from now. So if you change your mind, you're welcome to meet with us again and reconsider this offer. And so this is the story he's telling these guys. <laughs> and most of his friends are like, you're lying to me. But he's like, no, no, it's absolutely happened to me. And Tony, the guy I interviewed, was absolutely convinced Paul was telling the truth. Because you know, he was the closest to Paul. And so long story short, they drive home. And the months start to pass by. And as that date approaches one year, Paul starts acting a little peculiar. He starts giving away all his stuff. And his parents were a little worried about it. And Tony finally approached him and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you giving away your stuff? He's like, well, I'm thinking of going out there. And Tony's like, well, are you going to go with them? And Paul says, mm, I don't know. I certainly want to go see. And that's exactly what he ended up doing is driving out there alone. He wouldn't take anyone with him. Went there alone. And everyone thought he was going to show up a couple of days later, but he didn't. And after three or four days, they became concerned. So Tony, a couple of the other guys, and Paul's family, his parents, drove up there and went to the cabin and found his car, and the keys were in it. And there was this is hard-packed desert. There didn't see any evidence of anything in terms of footprints or landing traces. But they did call the police because they could not find Paul. And the police were called and they questioned everybody, including Tony, at length. And Tony's like, well, you know, all I can tell you is this is the story he told us. And so they questioned the other guys who were there at the cabin. And they all told the same story, like, this is what Paul said. <laughs> we don't know where he is. But they, they never found him. He was not returned. So that was my first case like that. Was it the first? Well, in, in, in terms of you know being that close to a firsthand witness, yeah. Yeah, I know of others. There was another case in Hawaii where I talked to one of the guys who was on the team where the, a UFO came right over. Her name was Kelly Conroy, I think it was. And this was at the Seven Pools on Maui, which I've been to. And mm. the UFO took her right up and, and took off, and she was never seen from again, right in front of her brother. So that was another case that you know I didn't investigate personally, but I talked to the guy who did. So this does happen. You know, Timothy Good has gotten a few cases like this, and I've gotten a couple of others. And I can tell you about the next one if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was a really interesting witness. Pat Cates is her name. And she had reported her case to MUFON. And I think that's where I found it and had her name there. And did she she may have reached out to me. This was some years ago, so I'm not sure which came first. Did she contact me or I contacted her? I think she contacted me and had a very extensive experiences of being on board. And I, I remember uh, she described being in a room with the greys. And actually, the room was empty. And she's waiting on this little bench. And in walk these greys. 
little guys. She says it wasn't frightening at all, but it was a little scary when they came close to her. And what do they do? They come right up to her and sit right next to her. And she got <laughs> angry with them. She's like, why? You could have sat anywhere. There's been benches everywhere. Why are you sitting here in my spot? And they said, well, you're sitting in our spot. <laughs> so she got up <laughs> and moved. But she had a lot, lifetime of experiences like these. She was a really funny lady. Had corroborating witnesses. Pretty extensive experience. But for me, there was one really compelling experience that was just mind-blowing to me. Because once she came home, this is just an aside. This is another one of her experiences. And there were grays in her living room. And one was dressed in a three-piece suit, you know, like a tuxedo. And it made her laugh. And she thought they were doing that to sort of reduce the fear factor. And I thought that was super interesting because certainly Whitley Strieber had described that. We've had a few other witnesses describe that. And I know of other cases. And it sort of lended to me credence to her story because it's so unusual. It's not something anyone would think of. It's not well known that you know, this sort of thing happens. So there was a lot of little red flags that made me convinced that she was telling the truth. And this next story really did. She described how, I believe it was 1984, 82, 82 or 84, where she woke up and she's on board a craft and it's landing and they're taking her outside. These are human looking ETs and greys. So they were short, kind of dark skinned, but absolutely human looking, wearing blue jumpsuits. She's looking around her at this landscape. And there's another giant UFO. These are big, big craft with three levels on them, she said. And She's looking around her, and it's a different landscape than certainly where she lives in Louisiana. And she's thinking, well, this doesn't even look like the U.S., because below them, they were on a hillside, and there was a little river, was this village, a very large village with sort of South American-looking, you know, colorful adobe huts and stuff like this, not super you know, modern. And they said, follow us. And she obediently did. She doesn't know why she didn't ask more questions. She just followed these guys into this village, walked into a house and pulled out a man and a woman and their child and led him back to the craft. And these people followed obediently, didn't ask any questions, just followed. Did this over and over and over again all night long. And would gather, you know, groups and did it for hours, she said. And they would all gather up on the bottom level. She was allowed up on the upper levels. And so this was a fairly long experience. And next thing she knows, the craft is lifting up, right? The door is closed. She's inside of it. It's lifting up. And off in the distance, because you can see out through the, where the wall turns transparent, this volcano explodes. And this huge flow of mud and ice and trees and debris and houses comes roaring through this village, burying it. And the UFO and the other one near her lowers down and pull a few people out of the muck and rescued as many as they could. So it was before, during, and after that they were pulling people out into this craft. And then the craft goes zoom, and it's landing in her dark driveway. <laughs> and she gets out, and the ETs escort her into her bed. And she wakes up the next morning thinking, all the UFO, quote, dreams I've had, this is the weirdest. 
And so she calls her best friend. She's like, you're not going to believe this UFO dream I had. I had another one of my UFO dreams. And starts describing it. And her friend says, oh, my God, Pat, hang up the phone and turn on the TV right now. And she's like, why, why? She says, just do it. Turn on the TV. And she does. And there is what she saw on the news. The Nevada del Ruiz volcano in Colombia had just exploded. I actually have the book on this disaster. I'm obsessed with disasters of all kinds. <laughs> so I have all the books on volcanoes and tsunamis and earthquakes and floods. And I'm like, oh, I have that book. And some 27,000 people perished in that volcanic explosion, which buried the town of Armero in you know 20 30 feet of mud volcanic mud and this is what she saw she said it was absolutely upsetting she ended up going to therapy because of it and the guy who was doing the therapy was actually a government guy who worked with government he said and uh, he said oh yeah i've heard other stories like this she's like you're kidding So she described all this. She said it took her a long time to get over it. It was the most traumatizing of all of the events she's experienced because there was a level of corroboration to it. I mean, it upset her. And I asked her, what do you think happened to these people? She said, I couldn't tell you, but I have to guess that they're not being returned because where were, you know, it's a lot of people. She said it was easily a thousand people, probably more. And that was just on the craft that she was on. And I thought that was just a really compelling story. She's super psychic. She predicted a plane crash, told everyone at work, like, this is going to happen. And it did. I looked it up. It killed four people, this plane that crashed in her town, right into a gas station. And there's, you know, you can see the articles on this. And she completely freaked out her therapist when she started, you know, able to do, affect the biofeedback machine in ways and started giving him psychic readings about his wife and stuff like this. She was super psychic, just an amazing witness with a lot of interesting details that made her story even more richly detailed and gave credence to what she was saying. And an interesting end note to all this is years later, and just recently, last year, I interviewed a lady from New York who actually, and I put that story in my book, Onboard UFO Encounters. She called me up. She located me, sent me an email, actually, but we spoke. She's like, I have to tell you, I had that same experience. She doesn't remember pulling people on board, but she had the same experience of being in that village and a volcano erupting and all of this and turned on the TV, and it was the Novato del Ruiz volcano. So that's like the second contactee report that sort of linked to that different from Pat Kate's encounter. Pat, as I now believe, deceased. I tried to locate her. her. All her information was no longer current. She could be alive, but I couldn't find her. But yeah, that's the second case. And I have to wonder about that because just recently, you know, I put out a book called Symmetry. Mm -hmm. I believe you interviewed Dolly Safran at one point. Yeah, both you and Dolly on Two episodes. Yeah, she's got an amazing story. It's the most extensive of anyone I've ever interviewed. And she's got incredible evidence to back her story up. It's not just her eyewitness testimony, which is true for a lot of people. 
let's face it, a lot of the stories that come in are purely anecdotal. She has corroborating witnesses. I saw the darn UFOs myself. I saw the government cars. <laughs> she has photographic evidence, not just stills, but daylight video of UFOs over her home. It's nighttime, too, of objects releasing a little, little craft. It got on the Arizona news, you know, when it, these things hovered over the Airbnb where we were staying. It was on the news in Arizona the next night. I saw it. We're wow. Still, we're still trying to look for that news report. I regret not, you know, following that up right away. This was the first time I met Dolly face to face. So I was a little overwhelmed. And also I was speaking at the conference, so I was busy. But <laughs> uh, I mean there was a lot going on. I ended up getting really sick too with valley fever. So did she, which is hmm, a whole other but story. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, isn't valley fever a hantavirus? I don't know. It's a fungal infection of some kind. Oh, no, no. That hantavirus is much, much, much worse. <laughs> but that you can get that in the Southwest by exposure to rat droppings. I think we just got it from the dust in the air. It was so dry there. It was a dead place. I mean, I don't know if I like this area, Laughlin. <laughs> Uh, there were no mm -hmm. trees really at all. I didn't see trees for, I drove out there. There was 50 miles of not a single tree. Yeah. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. But so her case is really extensive. It's got photographs, it's got corroborating witnesses, moving film, daylight and nighttime. Or, I mean, she has a film of a craft coming right over her house. It's very close. You can see it. Medical evidence, which she showed me. I just wanted to make this point because her story is really incredible, but it's supported in ways that you rarely get. And so while interviewing her, I asked her about cases like that. You know, has anyone ever been taken and not returned? And she says, yes, it does happen, but it's pretty rare. And I, I told her about the Pat Cates case. You know, what about like, you know, we're, she says, well, yeah, there, she knows of a few incidents. She wouldn't name the specific plane crash, but where it was just completely decimated and people were lifted off the plane and taken before because there would be no evidence of them. They wouldn't find them. And she said there's a number of disasters that she's aware of that she participated in where people were rescued. And she was able to speak specifically on a few incidents. She told me of one case where a lady was burned in a house fire very severely over, I think it was 70 or 80% of her body and probably would have died but they pulled her out of the house fire she was still burned and healed her and she said i don't want to go back i don't want to go back and they said okay are you sure and she said yes i said really think about this because you're not going back if you make this decision she said i don't want to go back and they relocated her so Dolly says that has happened with a number of homeless people as well who won't be missed, who no one cares about, and who are at death's door. They take them on board and give them a second chance. So, yeah, she says it's not super common that that happens. But I did talk to another contactee in Maine who insisted upon anonymity, who was told essentially the same thing. She had her full-grown hybrid son, who she had given birth to, come down, and she had been healed. She's got a very benevolent case, but he gave her all kinds of information, which I thought was super interesting. 
the ETs told her, you need to tell people to stop putting out the greed and negativity they're putting out because you're on the pathway to self-destruction. Mm -hmm. Who you thought were angels in the past, that was us. They told her that if you think Hurricane Katrina was bad, there's much worse coming. This was right after mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina, which turned out to be true. They told her about the Madrid fault running through the center of the U.S., that the time is coming when that's going to slip. It hasn't happened yet. So they were giving all this kind of information. They said they've been around for thousands upon thousands of years. And they told her, if people should start disappearing from this planet in large numbers, it's being done by us for the universal good. Pretty much a direct quote. So that points to, you know, the whole 411 phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, they're always, they're either, at least according to Polites, they're, they tend to fit into kind of like a bimodal distribution. So they're either extremely high IQ or they're de developmentally disabled or people who are disabled in some way, not necessarily developmentally disabled. Oh, really? Um, that. Wow. Yeah. And then also, he also says German heritage, but I think he's a little sloppy on that because he'll get like a, 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 an English name and call them German or like a Swedish name and call them German. Right. So he's a little sloppy on his methodology there. A large percentage of them tend to be hunters. So yeah, I don't so know why. Why do you. Compelling. Oh, I mean, there'll be people right, right ahead of you on the path. They turn the corner, people come up, gone. Gone. So I don't know. I don't know. There are wildcats and grizzly bears, and they can take a person and dash off. Yeah, not that fast. <laughs> like, you, you'd hear them coming. Who do they take, though? Is it just people in crisis, or do they take specific types of people? I mean, Pilates, Pilates has his theories, but in your cases, have you seen anything that indicates any sort of well, in terms of people who are taken and not returned, I think it's people who won't be missed. People who were not going to find evidence of their passing, whether it's mm -hmm. from a pastor that's just so completely obliterating all the evidence that you're not going to find remains. And that's the only real pattern that I'm seeing. People who are not going to be found one way or another. <laughs> in terms of who is contacted, I have found patterns. You know. And I think that's backed up by other researchers. We know that if someone's being taken on board, it's probably in their family. This is something that's been following generations. Mm -hmm. that's, it's evenly divided between men and women. I know that. I did find an, another interesting pattern, which might speak towards you know profession, person's vocation, which sort of hit me real hard when I was interviewing this lady who was healed. And I asked her what she did for a living. And she said, don't use my name because... I'm really well known in my country, Norway, I think it was, in her town. She does animal and human rights activism. And I'm like, well, geez, I just interviewed Michael Carter, Reverend Michael Carter, who is, works very hard battling racism. And he was healed of a blood clot in his leg. I thought, well, isn't that true of John Hunter Gray, a social worker, award-winning? I thought, well, gosh, there's that doctor in France whose case was investigated by Jacques Vallée. He's a medical doctor. He was healed. I started going through my files. A lot of doctors, a lot of nurses. Dolly, she's a nurse. A lot of people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. 
whether it's a musician or an inventor or a police officer or a teacher, it's a loose pattern, granted, but it kept coming up. There are some cases that are just pure one-offs. You know what I mean? Like that lady in Norway, I thought, well, you know, you were probably visited when we were younger. I didn't tell her that, but I inquired. She's like, no, no, this is the only time this has ever happened to me. My parents have never had encounters. You know, no, no, this is just a one-off. And that is why I started really questioning her very deeply, because I wanted to figure out why the heck was she healed? And why was she taken? And that's where I, I kind of started to dig deep on that pattern, because it is evenly divided between men and women. Very young people, very old people, people of all ethnicities. It's not blood type. You know, there was a lot of talk about that, which there's a high incidence of RH negative. But people of all blood types are being pulled on board. And I wonder about all the missing people. I do. Because some of them, I think there's a good reason to believe there are some cases where there is a strong connection in terms of UFOs to missing people. But there's a lot of missing people who we don't have any reason to think that UFOs took them, but we don't know if they were contactees or not. But hmm, I wonder. I do wonder. Do you think, do you think anybody, this is pure speculation, but do you think anybody was rescued from 9-11? I don't know. I, I think I asked Dolly about that. And she said, no, not as far as she knows. It wouldn't surprise me. I do know there was a contactee, Jason Andrews from England, who said he traveled there astrally, <laughs> had an out-of-body experience and was helping rescue people and pull them to the other side. I've heard that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. There were some angelic rescues there and some really interesting stories along those lines. So... I don't have any evidence that people were pulled from that, but you know, flight 91, I think it was, that went straight into the ground in Pennsylvania. There was, Shanks, yeah, Shanksville. Yeah. yeah, there was, I don't think they found anything larger than a couple of square inches there of wreckage. It went down so hard and fast. I wonder, I, th I, I think it's entirely possible. Because, uh, yeah, we keep hearing about these incidents. And I know Timothy Good, I, I can't specifically remember the cases, but covered a number of these. I do remember hearing about a teacher who got invited to go on board, and she was never heard from again. Did Dolly give you a sense of where they take these people? Yeah. Yep, they have, well, generally a couple of areas. Other planets, which are very much, you know, Earth-like. This is why we call the book Symmetry. She picked that title because there's symmetry to life throughout the universe. And this is why they're all humanoid in form. They're all human. That's why I thought it was interesting about the David Grush testimony. <laughs> you know, he's calling not extraterrestrial intelligence or non, whatever he called it. Non-human intelligence. Non -human I mean, they might just have different, you know, great. I mean, as an example, grays can still be human that just look, you know. Yeah dramatically they different they're all people we all share similar heritage this is what dolly mm -hmm. was told flat out and these people are being relocated to plants with pine trees and cows and fox and rabbits so essentially i mean there are slight differences earth is very gravity heavy she says and a lot of these plants are much lighter in gravity and the wildlife is correspondingly larger 
but also taken in some cases to what we would call Dyson spheres, which are artificial planetoids. The first time they took her to one of those, she could not believe it because it didn't look like that from the inside. She thought she was on a planet. Like, no, 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 this is an artificial planetoid. This is what you call Dyson spheres. Not so much surrounding a star, but very mm -hmm. large with, you know, they have the technology to, with electromagnetics to mimic a blue sky with the sun and all that. They're so far advanced. You know, people say, oh, it's a thousand years. I asked Tali about that. She's like, no, it's millions. Yeah, it's oh, billions. Yeah, she's, it's more than that. It's and that's why we will never, ever, ever fully be able to reverse engineer these craft. We've done it to a certain degree, but they're trying so hard to you know get interstellar travel and just don't have that capacity. They can only travel here on Earth or around the planet. So I don't know, but yeah, people are apparently being relocated to other planets, which you know may sound like science fiction to people. I get it. But this is the testimony we're getting. And if one aspect of the phenomenon is real, you sort of go on a progression. We know this is a real phenomenon. I mean, we mm -hmm. do. You can argue all you want about who these guys are or where they're coming from, but people are seeing UFOs. Yeah, but they exist. They clearly exist. Yeah. Right. And they look like craft. They've got windows. There are people coming out of them. <laughs> They've got landing gear. You know, and people are not where they're... They're not in their bedrooms when they're on board. This was a psychological phenomena. People would not be missing. Now, Dolly's family had to call the police one time when she disappeared from the house for two hours. She was two years old. And I've got a, many cases like that personally. It's mm -hmm. just an important point that I want to put across because people some, will still say to this day, oh, this is psychological. No, it's not. And no, it's not some intelligent... This is just my assessment. It's not some intelligence that's putting on different masks. I've argued with some researchers about this. They're like, do you really think that there's this huge variety of humanoids? Yes. What's so hard to believe? Look at Earth. Look at the tiny pygmies. You know, look at the Watusis. Look at all the different ethnicities we have on this planet. If you put them all together and you stick a gray in there, you, you could get away with it. You know, because it, he would be just as different as anyone else on this planet. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a praying mantis type, but uh, but you see my point. And contactee after contactee has been told flat out, we all have the same genetic heritage. It's an important point. These are people. So it just irks me when people start pointing to Bigfoot and say, well, this is another aspect of the phenomena. It's another modality. I'm like, no, well, hold on a second. Where's your evidence for that? You know. Show me why you think that that's the case. And the best evidence people have is that the contact can be very strange, can have elements of what they call high strangeness. Mm -hmm. People like say, go on board and there'll be a couch there and carpet. That, that was pointed to me as like, see here, how could that be real? Well, I've talked to first-time witnesses who had that experience. And I asked Mike, Mike Cleland had that experience. Yeah. It was like a cheap, cheap hotel. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, people think it's a 7-Eleven or something, or an amusement park. I've heard all of it. I asked Dolly about it specifically, and she says, the ETs will do that. They will put you in an environment that makes you feel comfortable. 
Whereas other researchers will say, no, and they're speculating. This is why I like talking to the first-hand witnesses, especially people like Dolly. And she's certainly not unique. Don Anderson was another I was very much aware. Another lady I'll call Wendy, who will echo these same things. Jay Gardner also had experiences that where he was fully conscious of. He didn't go under hypnosis. He remembered. So you can point to high strangers and say, ah, oh, this is a phenomenon it's symbolic, but you are speculating. You have no reason to say that other than your own opinions about it. When these contactees are being told directly and are seeing it firsthand, I tend to turn to the contactee for their and allow their interpretation to be the first one we look towards. Mm -hmm. It's their experience. They were there. They would know if anyone would. So, yeah, it irks me when people are trying to lump near-death experiences into the same, you know, umbrella. A near-death experience is different. There are bleed-throughs in some of these cases right. where people have had a near-death experience and seen ETs, but they're so rare. The vast majority of people who see a UFO are not going to see a Bigfoot. There's a few cases, though, where that does intersect, which is interesting, to say the least, but not enough to say that these are all the same phenomena. You know how long the people have been seeing ghosts? Forever. And, you know, demonic spirits and angels. I looked into the whole angelic phenomena. It's very compelling. Fairies, little supernatural creatures of all kinds are in every culture. I think we have to be very careful about lumping these all into one explanation. This is just my assessment, and I cannot walk away from the extraterrestrial theory. Sorry, I'm going mm -hmm. off on this because it seems to be a trend towards this, and it's alarming to me. I don't understand the resistance to the idea that we are not alone, that there are other people like us. It's very arrogant to say, no, we're the only ones, and everything we're, we're seeing is an intelligence that's putting on different masks. What? And that's my main complaint is where's the mechanism behind that? How would you explain that? We can explain ETs. It's very logical that there mm -hmm. are people like us, biological beings that live and die and live on another planet. That's some, you know, Occam's razor, I think, is a useful tool. What do you make of these people who, Again, I'm trying to do this in a non-judgmental way because I really don't. I really don't know. But there are people who claim that they're like Palladians and they channel Palladians and they're like Arcturians visiting Earth as a manifesting as a, in a human body. This and that. It seems out there to me, but that doesn't mean it's not true. What do you make of that sort of stuff? Well, some of it I take with a grain of salt. Some of it I think has absolute validity. Because what I do when it, there's an outlier, right? Something that just I've never heard before. I'm like, okay, this could be true. It might not be. Mm -hmm. I will put that on the back burner and wait for corroboration. Because that's the best evidence we have is the huge number of cases that are strikingly similar. When someone's taken on board a UFO, you, if you're a researcher, you can predict 80, 90% of what they're going to say. So when someone says something like that, I'm like, okay, well, I've heard this before. What I have heard is people being told by the ETs that you are one of us. You are incarnating here on Earth. Your last life was with us. I think there's some validity to that because I've heard it a lot. As far as channeling, I'm more skeptical of that. 
because I have studied channeling. I've got all the books on it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a valid phenomena. But the fact is, we have no way of verifying who these people are. There are some cases. Yeah, it's easy to hoax. It's it's much easier to hoax than some other things. It doesn't mean they're hoaxers. But... Right now, I am Nipton from Krutan. I am speaking to you in light and love. I'm, I'm not you know, denigrating honest-to-God channelers because I visited them. And some of the contactees I've interviewed channeled in front of me. Wendy, she yeah. did. And some of them told me things like, wow, how did you know that? So, I mean, I saw, what's his name? It'll come to me. He's a very famous Bashar. Yeah. From channel who's channeled by Daryl Anka. I had a session mm-hmm. with him just in a group. Really? Session. You do know that he claims that there's going to be a contact event in 2026, right? I have heard that. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. You know, t- but, but what did you think? I didn't mean to take you off the path of that. No, well, many session you had. these are saying that sort of and Dolly's talking about a day that's going to come. When our magnetic fields go down and the grid goes offline and our sun, you know, shooting CMEs and our sun is in danger of micronoving and destroying our life, where the ETs will come down en masse. A lot of contactees are saying this sort of thing. It could be that day. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I did have a session with Bashar where he, you know, he's pointing at people in the audience and I raised my hand and he pointed at me <laughs> and said, you were an ET in a past life. You know, I see UFOs. You, know, you have a UFO connection. You're here to anchor the ET energy. I was new to the field. You know, I probably had written a few articles, but he didn't have my name. This was just a lineup. Go in there. You know, no signing up freehand where someone could, you know, investigate you. So I don't know. I think that does come up. I think channeling is a real phenomenon, but. Mm-hmm. Spirits can say anything. There's a very famous case called the Philip case, I think, where people did table lifting and they gave, they just made up an identity. And the spirit that they were, the alleged spirit they were talking to, took on that identity. So <laughs> you don't know who you're communicating with when you're doing Ouija board and things like this a lot of the time. So yeah, Ouija board is something I, I, I had like an event when I was 12 years old that I'll never touch one of those things again. I've interviewed some people who really regretted it too. <laughs> it led to a well, I, terrible haunting. Well, I have a friend who I interviewed on this show who's also a contactee, but every time he walks into a room where somebody's using a Ouija board, it the Ouija board will say, Jonathan, good to see you again. Hmm. Like it's happened to him, it's happened to him three times in a row. Yeah, I personally don't want a channel. I don't want another entity moving into my body. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. Yeah. I mean, that's just me personally. But channeling has been studied extensively, and there's definitely validity to it. I mean, the Jane Roberts case is very extensive with Seth. is one of many. You know, Jay-Z Knight. It's a very controversial case. With, uh, Have you heard about... Does she claim that she claims that her DNA changes? But she channels. So Grant Cameron wants to actually do an experiment with channelers to see if that's actually a thing, or if the J, you know, the J, was it Jay Z night, or, or you know, could it be a complete hoax, right? I don't know. I've talked to some people who've seen her. I, I never seen her. I've got you know some of the books on her case. I find channeling very interesting, but the messages that come through are very similar. They're very 
airy positive yeah <laughs> you know what i mean very hard to pin down in specifics usually not always but yeah i mean there is a spiritual and psychic aspect to all of this stuff and contactees as a general rule experience a huge variety of this stuff mediumship mm -hmm. and astral projection and healing and physical levitation i mean that happened to dolly numerous times as a, a kid and up into through adulthood not so much now but but hopkins had cases with whitley streber stephen greer said he levitated twice <laughs> jacques valet you know that doctor in france where i mentioned he levitated twice as verified by his wife so there are aspects to the contact experience that a lot of nuts and bolts researchers don't really want to touch or associate with because it's a big pill to swallow yeah it's definitely not i mean anybody who spends a week studying the subject knows that it's not just nuts and bolts like it's just it's just not yeah so that's why i've done a lot of paranormal research because i kept hearing people like well i've had a near-death experience <laughs> you know my house is haunted like because well, i didn't believe in ghosts when i started i don't believe in ufos either i don't believe in life after death or any of it and i'm the kind of researcher it's like it's not enough for me to just talk to someone i want to experience it myself so yeah i have experienced ghosts i've never levitated that would be awesome <laughs> but uh, i've certainly seen ufos and i've gone to the channelers and to the extent that i can i would like to experience it myself so then you know like we we're talking about knowledge is one thing and belief is another so there's so much to uncover that i wish there were more researchers in this field more science being thrown at it more money more attention which was taught in schools and i wish there were open official government studies beyond these ridiculous nasa oh well i mean there is merit there are billions of dollars being thrown at it that's why you have a fifty thousand dollar hammer in some of these budget appropriations and you know congress yeah well i can give you a hammer for 50 bucks and I'd still make a lot of money <laughs> anyway on that note i appreciate your time again preston this was as always a fascinating interview and i really appreciate you sharing those stories with me because i've heard the first one before i think on your channel you covered it but these other stories are all new to me and i think they're heartening to an extent too because there, you know, in some natural disasters, people are actually saved and have an opportunity to a new life. They don't just suffer and perish for good. So I appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. And yeah, this would be a good time for everyone to bone up on your psychic abilities and reach out to these guys because, you know, many contactees are saying this, that there's going to be a worldwide landing. There's going to be an existential crisis and this will happen. A worldwide liftoff. We'll see, obviously, but it's an exciting time to be alive, and I think it's amazing. And I'm so glad I boned up on science fiction before I became an investigator because it kind of prepared me for all this. <laughs> well, to your point, back in May, there was a news article about NASA, I think, sending out some probe to better prepare or predict that cme and you know not lose internet access i think they framed it as losing internet access but if you lose internet access you're going to lose 
power. I think power grid's going to fail. But NASA, I think, sees something coming too. But yeah, it wasn't sure widespread. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, you can, you know, we have a lot of information in the book Symmetry about all this, but you can look it up online. Look up the subject of CMEs. It's alarming to say the least. Look it up. I always encourage people, you know, don't believe a word I said. I don't care. What do I care? <laughs> look for yourself. I actually really encourage that. Don't look to the government for answers. Don't <laughs> look to yourself. You know, if you really want to know if any of this is true, you can experience a ghost. You can experience astral projection. You can experience contact with ETs. All of it. So, yeah, it's up to each individual to really start looking inwards for answers and having their own experiences. Because I've said it four or five times now, true knowledge comes from personal experience. 100%. I appreciate you, brother. And as always, great to see you. Yeah. Thanks very much, Sean. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh,